clang, clang, clang went the trolley. Ding, ding, ding went the bell. It's Liza with a Z, not Lisa with an S, cause Lisa with an S goes snuds. Let me hear you say, hey, Miss Carter. Don't cry for me, Argentina. Who told you you're allowed to rain on my parade? There can be a hundred people in the room. Liza! I'm Robbie Latua. And I'm Tequila Mockingbird. Welcome to Divas on Divas. The podcast where we make our diva obsession your problem. Hey, buddy. Hey, babe. <laughs> How are ya? Look at us. <laughs> Finally left to our own devices. No pesky guests to get in our way. Oh, <laughs> God, imagine all the trash we can talk. All right, exactly. Imagine the trash we've talked so far. We've cut about 15 minutes off the front already. <laughs> yeah, there's some really litigious stuff. I actually was recording, and you need to be nice to me for a little while. It's all I'm going to say. I think so. You have the power to ruin my career at any given moment. <laughs> Not that I have much of a career, but what career I do have, you have the power to ruin it. <laughs> I've had that power for quite some time. I haven't used it yet, but, you know, the day's young. I've been very excited about getting back in a room with just you and I at Tequila. Not that I haven't loved our guest. How fantastic has Dee Flowers and Missy Leminx in the last couple of episodes been? And, of course, Lisa a few weeks ago. But it's nice just to have the family together. It really is just <laughs> nice to keep the, the two of us back together and doing what we do best. And it's really talking shit about the guests while they're not here. I thought you were um, going to say drinking alcohol. <laughs> Oh, sorry, yes, drinking alcohol, um, but also talking shit about our guests when they're not here. <laughs> hey, we never really filled our listeners in on our new alcohol strategy for the podcast. We did have to take a bit of a turn after... Um, after you took a bit of a turn. <laughs> <laughs> after the Barbara episode, when things did get a little bit lively. I mean, nobody else would know that listening at home, but things did get a little bit lively off air between Tequila and I by the end of the record. Well, that's what's bound to happen when you've necked at least four bottles of wine between two people, I suppose. <laughs> Tensions get a bit high and things get a bit heated and, and podcast nearly end but we, <laughs> we made it through the fire and we're here and we're here to tell you if you find that you're a little bit of an angry drunk just cut out the white wine just cut out the white wine it's made a world of difference look how happy we are today because we're on the nice lush guava cruises guava cruises more guava cruises than you can shake a shitty stick at honestly and look that isn't a paid promotion we just really owe a lot to guava cruises <laughs> For mending the, the fences of our friendship and keeping this podcast coming into your ears every... No, we're not coming into anyone's ears. <laughs> no, not since that restraining order kicked in. <laughs> At least we enjoy this podcast. <laughs> and of course, we have a lot to thank Guava Cruises for, obviously for mending the bridges of our broken friendship and getting this podcast back on track so we can bring it to you each and every fortnight. <laughs> I've been very excited about this diva coming up, Tequila, because in the world of diva folklore, and as much as we love this notion of diva, this diva has often been referred to as the original diva. Of course, the term diva has been around for a very long time. We used to refer to the opera singers of divas. But in the modern context of what a diva is, this diva is known as the first person to really wear that title. We are talking, of course, about the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin. And of course, when you do think of the Queen of Soul, you do think this iconic diva. There's a reason they call her the original diva. And it's because she has that very strong-willed personality. She has that strong sense of her femininity and like really just being like one of those original badass women that we love 
and that we love to talk about. Let's get in to the need to know basics of one Miss Aretha Franklin. She was born Aretha Louise Franklin on March 25th, 1942 in Memphis, Tennessee. She passed away on August 16th, 2018 at the age of 76 from pancreatic cancer. When she was just two years old, her family moved to Buffalo, New York City, and then they moved to Detroit, Michigan at the age of five. Her parents split when she was just six years old, and her mother sadly passed away before she turned ten. Her father became a very famous preacher known as the man with the million dollar voice, and would travel America earning thousands of dollars for sermons across the country. They had lots of famous friends, including many of the big name gospel singers at the time, as well as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It was no surprise with all these influences in the house that Aretha began her love of singing at just ten years old, when she she would perform gospel solos at church. That's not hard to believe at all. Like, you can see it. You can see a 10-year-old Aretha Franklin. Brought up in the family that she was and surrounded by the people that she was. Yeah, 100%. By the time she was 12, her father had begun managing her and she would travel with him as part of his gospel caravan. By 14, she had been signed to a record label and released her first gospel single, Never Grow Old. At 16, she toured with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and then sang at his funeral in 1968. When she turned 18, she decided to pursue a career in the mainstream and along with her father, moved to New York City where she was quickly signed by Columbia Records. And then she had her first international hit the following year with I Never Loved a Man The Way I Love You, which is still to this day one of her greatest songs that she's ever released. And imagine coming out the gate such a young age, having such a hit single straight away and then that continuing on through your entire career, as many of these divas that we cover do. She has recorded 39 studio albums and eight live albums, ranging from 1961 all the way through to 2014. And she's attributed with releasing a whopping 138 singles. That's a lot of singles. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of songs. That's a huge career. She kept that hustle going the entire time. Her most notable songs are Respect, Son of a Preacher Man, You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman, and Think, Think. Freedom. Think about what you're trying to do to me. Think, think, think. Again, once again, we we apologise deeply. Um, It's kind of hard not to when you read that (laughs) name, though, isn't it? (laughs) It's such a great song. It's so good. She's been married twice, once in 1961 to 1969 to producer Ted White, where she had her third child, Ted White Jr., in 1964, and then again in 1978 to 1981 to actor Glenn Turman. She does, of course, have other children. She had two earlier pregnancies, quite young, at the age of 12 and 14. She doesn't often talk about those, but that's when she had her sons Edward and Clarence. And also has another son, her youngest son, by the name of Kekar. She has 18 Grammy Awards from 44 nominations. She also received the Grammy Legends Award in 1991 and the Lifetime Achievement Award in 1994. And she has five recordings in the Grammys Hall of Fame. She's really cleaned up at the Grammys. She's right up there with uh, a lot of the highest earners in terms of nominations and awards. Yeah, very honoured. She's sold 75 million records worldwide. That's That's a buttload. That's a lot of records. That's a lot of fucking records. And of course, we love to talk about them. The Hollywood Walk of Fame stars. She got one in 1979. We love to hear it. Good on (laughs) it. There's one thing we love on this podcast, honestly. She's broken a lot of other awards, Tequila, but I didn't want to include them here because I want to talk to you about them a little bit more in detail later on. Love that. Let's do it. Innocent and iconic. Well, I think it's later on enough. Let's talk about some of these achievements I've just mentioned. We have this notion of Aretha being the original diva. And you know what? The stats are really there to show that she is. I mean, not only is she this brazen, strong-willed, sure-of-herself, original female 
empowerment artist, but also the stats are really there to back it up. In 1987, she became the first female performer to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. She's the first woman to rack up 100 songs on the Billboard's Hot 100 chart and has only very recently been overtaken for the woman with the most singles on that chart by one Miss Nicki Minaj, which will be interesting a little bit later. (laughs) She has a total of 112 Billboard singles, which I was just referring to, which gave her the most of any female ever until... Just recently, as I was saying. Her first Billboard number one was earned in 1967 and at just 25 years old. So this career has spanned such a long time. That was, of course, for the song Respect. You heard of it? Uh, it's a little ditty, but yeah, I know it, I know it. And she's gone on to have a total of 20 number one tracks. She has more singles sold over a million copies than any other female artist in the world. It's amazing. She has 10 number one R&B albums, which is, again, the most of any female. And her Amazing Grace live album is the number one selling gospel album ever to this day. And she was ranked the number one singer of all time by Rolling Stone. So this is a real icon of the industry and a real icon of what's interesting to me, a real icon of the diva community. Yeah, I definitely think so. I didn't know any of this stuff that you've just you've just mentioned just then. So I'm I'm gagged by it because you really think she's really earned her divaship in this yeah. instance. Like she's hustled and she's worked. Yeah, and that voice as well. That's not something that comes easy. I wouldn't imagine. Like that's incredible. Do you know what she makes it look like it and comes she, so yeah, easy though? She really does. That's the thing. One of the she, things it's just she opens her mouth and there comes that voice that yeah. just could fill like no. Mike's needed just fills an auditorium yeah. it's so huge she's got this real look about her in, in a, quite a lot of performances where she literally just stands there and out it comes like it just sort of flows so natural to her but they talk about a lot of artists that we've all grown up with and that we all know really well like Whitney Houston even Mariah Carey like they, they talk about really the impact that Aretha made onto the music scene can be heard in such a broad spectrum of artists that a lot of people sort of tap into what she brought yeah i really think so and like you said it is those artists like mariah carey and whitney houston that get the r&b stars that followed her and the soul singers that followed her that you really see and even more recently people like adele yeah you can really hear in a lot of like adele paloma faith those sorts of british singers as well that have this kind of soul vibe going on and i think a lot of singers owe aretha franklin a debt of gratitude for paving the way for those female diva artists that's what they talk about a lot that she really paved the way for people and if you think about the metaphor of paving the way it's literally laying the groundwork putting it down and going okay this is an acceptable way to be an artist and people were able to go okay I'm going to do that and put my own spin on it or it's okay for me to be this big personality and you know have this big voice and it creates a safe space for artists to then flourish which is really cool nowhere is this more prevalent than the 1988 VH1 Divas Live special (gasps) which she headlined with Mariah Carey Celine Dion Gloria Estefan Carol King and Shania Twain. Now, this was the first iteration of this. This was the very first time that they'd had a VH1 Divas Live. This went on to be like an annual thing or a biannual thing that would happen. You'd get all these divas together and they would sing and they would celebrate these songstresses and really celebrate these divas on live TV through VH1. And put them all together, which is just like, it just blows your mind. That makes my head explode, yeah. just even thinking about it, having all of those women in the same room. But it's really interesting because the director of it, Michael Simon, recalled that Aretha actually walked off stage during rehearsals for the performance and refused to rehearse. Diva. 
because she requested that the air conditioning be turned off to protect her vocal cords. Now, this is not something new. This is something she requests in every venue she performs at because she finds that when the air conditioning is on in the room, it dries out her voice and she's not able to sing and she's not able to hit the notes that she intends to hit or that she, she can hit. So it was reported in The Hollywood Reporter in 2018 that when she got to the rehearsals for the VH1 Divas Live, that the air conditioning was still on. So she walked off the stage. Like I said, the director, Michael Simon, was in the control booth and he said there was near hysteria. Why wasn't the air conditioning turned off? She kept screaming. Everybody kept asking, but nobody had an answer. And um, he said, I guess some guy, some house guy at the Beacon Theatre, whose job it was to turn off the air conditioning, messed up. So there was no rehearsal for Aretha. And you could sort of tell in the lead up that there was a lot of tension. Nobody knew if she was going to be able to do it. Nobody knew if she was going to come out. Like they had no point of reference for a rehearsal with her. And at one point, Carol King is sitting at the piano playing. Aretha's not on stage yet. And they've all just finished singing, You've Got a Friend. And that was Gloria Estefan, Shania Twain, Celine Dion and Carole King. And then there was this huge applause. (laughs) And then King famously said, this is why I write music. And as she said that, Aretha Franklin walked out uh, unplanned onto the stage (laughs) to thunderous applause. And she meant like having all these women together is why I write music. But it made it seem (laughs) with Aretha's entrance, she's gone, now this woman is the reason I I write music. Which is great because it was Carole King who wrote Natural Woman. You make me feel like a natural woman. It was Carole King and Jerry Goffin who originally wrote that song for Aretha at the request of Jerry Wexler back at the start of her career. Yeah, totally. Which we learned about in 2015 at the Kennedy Center Honours when it was Carole King who was being honoured when Aretha came out and performed the song in honour of Carole King. It's such a great piece of footage. In fact, I think it's my favourite piece of footage of Aretha because A, she gives this amazing vocal performance, but she walks out on stage with her handbag. <laughs> this is, before we play the clip, let's have a little discussion about this. It's always baffled me. <laughs> I performed quite a bit. I've never at one point walked out onto stage with a handbag. She ain't trusting nobody with that handbag. <laughs> what is she carrying in that handbag? And she sets it down next to the piano and I'm like, this is icon, icon status. It's really great. I, I want to talk a little bit about the Amazing Grace concert special a little later on but I noticed it in that too that she's got her handbag and also a couple of members of the choir walk in and they make this real grand entrance but a couple of them walk in with their handbags (laughs) it's just like it would never happen in the overproduced society that we have today although in 2015 that happened I love it I love because Aretha won't go nowhere without her handbag I love it (laughs) anyway she walks on stage she puts down her handbag she sits down at the piano she's a great pianist but it's not often that we see Aretha play the piano and Carole King loses her mind what's great about this clip is in part the reactions to Aretha and the respect that's in the room and the excitement from people. Carol King is being such like she is standing for Aretha. If she were to jump up and down anymore, she'd fall <laughs> over that balcony. She would be over that balcony. <laughs> and it's so beautiful to and see. And it's really genuine. You yeah. can tell she's really blown away. Anyway, so Aretha, of course, she knocks it out of the park with this beautiful vocal. Of course, we start to get to the climax of the song and Aretha's up from the piano. She's walked across the floor with her floor-length fur gown on and Aretha just throws her gown off on the floor and off she runs with this astounding vocal ad lib.
and everyone in the audience is losing their minds. Everyone's up on their feet at this point. Mid-song standing ovation. This is only three years before Aretha passed away. So, and she had been had yeah, an she on- was 70, 75, I think, at this point. Yeah, right. And she had she had quite a long ongoing struggle with cancer. So she wasn't at her best at this point, but her voice was vocally. Still- you can't beat that. Like that is sent from above. Soon after that performance. Elton John actually told The Times that he'd been watching the Natural Woman clip from the Kennedy Center honors over and over and over. And he was quoted as saying, I will definitely, when I'm 75, be having a fur coat like that and coming in with a clutch bag too and throwing my coat off in a fishtail gown. You best believe it. Now, also in the audience, of course, which is typical for Kennedy Center honors, was Barack and Michelle Obama. Within the first minute, Aretha comes down and sits down and Barack is quite overwhelmed and emotional and starts crying. And it's a gift we've seen We've seen that gift replicated ever since of Barack sitting there and he's wiping his eyes because he's bawling his eyes out because it's such a powerful moment. There's some really beautiful stuff that he's said about her over the years. He's clearly obviously a big fan. He said following that performance, nobody embodies more fully the connection between the African-American spiritual, the blues, R&B and rock and roll the way that hardship and sorrow were transformed into something full of beauty and vitality and hope. American history wells up when Aretha sings. That's why when she sits down at a piano and sings Natural Woman, she can move me to tears. He goes on to list a couple of other artists and he says in this same interview, he's basically saying to the reporter, like, who else? Who can you say? He really encapsulates this. Maybe Stevie Wonder. He names a couple of other people. He says, you know, no one else has really had that presence. So he was really moved by her. There's this really beautiful tweet that wasn't written by him, but was written by his former assistant. So back when he was about to be inaugurated, his assistant at the time was Alyssa Mastromonico and she put out a tweet just after Aretha passed away and she said, I don't talk a lot about private conversations me and at POTUS44 ever had, but when I started a conversation with him about talent for the first inaugural, he cut me off and said, Aretha. Hashtag (laughs) RIP Aretha Franklin. So for everything that she did... Within her career, Aretha Franklin was never really known as much of like an actress. Like a lot of our divas that we've covered throughout this season have been actresses, singers, philanthropists, whatever the Missing Blue Inks wants to call it. (laughs) (laughs) But like they've all got a few strings to their bow. She's mostly just known as a singer. But her most iconic, one of her only performances on screen was in the Blues Brothers in 1980. Of course. Which was incredible. So we would be remiss not to talk about (laughs) it. In the movie The Blues Brothers, Aretha Franklin played Mrs. Murphy and she was the wife of the Blues Brothers lead guitarist, Matt Guitar Murphy. And in the movie, she got to sing a new, longer version that she recorded specifically for the movie of the song Think, Freedom, which we sang a little bit of that before. But we'll actually play you the real version now. Oh, you're saying that Aretha did it better than us. (laughs) You better think. So, of course, incredible. And she's there. She's belting for the gods. And she's in this little pair of, like, slippers, these pink slippers. <laughs> and she's running around this cafe singing. And she's got her three backup singers. And the boys are dancing with her. And they all join in for a choreographed dance routine. Now, for me, this is the definitive version of this song. The original version that she recorded back in the 
60s, I believe, is a bit slower. It's a little more... This is what you think about when you think about things. This is what really... This version. It's a bit more upbeat and there's a bit more gospel to it. There's a tambourine and it's a little bit faster and it's a little bit... There's more to it. This is the version that you see drag queens the world over performing. Can I just... At that point, I do really want to know, those of us that have been around on the Melbourne scene for feels like at least eight lifetimes will remember that this was a staple song of Pussy Willow. Now, Pussy Willow was a sensational queen who has sadly passed on now, but this is the one thing. Anytime I hear this song, I think of Pussy Willow because Pussy Willow was was this big, bold, massive personality as well as being a big, bold (laughs) <laughs> big woman but she uh she would stand on the stage and she would perform this song and she would she just clap her hands along with the music and you were just thankful to watch it <laughs> I love it I love it that was that was before my t- time in the Melbourne scene I'm very sad that I, I missed seeing Pussy Willow perform you would have that. heard of Pussy Willow I have, right. I have heard and I have seen videos I think Steve Anderson has a lot of old videos of Pussy Willow up on YouTube that you can go and check her out as well some beautiful stuff she used to perform a lot with Paris I know yeah and Tabby and, Tabby, and yeah, like that yeah, yeah. Yeah. And a little bit before my time, but I love it. And I would have I would have given anything to have seen her perform this. Yeah, she's fantastic. Now, Tequila, as everyone would be well aware, we do we do a lot of research for this podcast. We've really put in our time and effort. I spent my morning this morning watching the Amazing Grace concert documentary movie. And it's fascinating. It, 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 a, it's a beautiful movie. It was filmed when Aretha was 29 years old, so back in 1972. And the movie is fantastic. It's Aretha's vocals at its best. It's a live recording of her gospel album, Amazing Grace, which we mentioned before, is the highest-selling gospel album of all, all time. time. Crazy. Which, of course, they wanted to record in a room full of people. So it, it's got this sensational vibe, you know, people dancing in the aisles. The people, yeah, oh. yeah. There's a big choir behind her, and it's Aretha's just vocals at their best. And this is the video that went along with it. It was directed by Sidney Pollock, but it was filmed in 1972 and was never released. So because of a technical error, they could never marry up the vision with the audio. They could never make it sync properly. So it got put away in a vault at Warner Brothers, and that's where it stayed for 35 years. And the wonders of bloody modern technology. Yeah, of course. So in 2017, producer Alan Elliott took it back out of the vault, and thanks to the digital age, he was, of course, able to synchronise it because these days we can do anything. You can get a man on the moon. (laughs) That happened a while ago, though, to be fair. (laughs) I think it happened before she recorded that. (laughs) So he planned to release it in 2011. Now... Aretha sued him for using her likeness without her permission and the movie again was shelved and the release date never went ahead. You'd think she'd be happy to get it out there. It's been that long in the bloody making. Come on. Well, there is reasons for this, but it goes on. The drama goes on. Elliot then went back to Warner Brothers and he found her original release contract. So he then had another shot because he's like, well, you've signed the rights away already. How bold, by the way. (laughs) Like, you've got to be... You've got to have some nerve going up against the Queen of Soul like that. A real shark of a producer to be able to do it. (laughs) So... He went ahead with his plan in 2015. He was going to release it at a few different film festivals. Aretha again sues him. They've never released what ground she sued him on this time around. But again, the movie got shelved and never got seen. But Alan Elliott did not give up. So when Aretha passed away in 2018... Let the woman rest. (laughs) I know, right? No, well, he went to the family and the family agreed that it was time to show this movie. So this movie eventually comes out 2019, less than a year after she passed away. But it's now 50 years since this thing has been released. So it's this amazing time capsule piece. And the way that they talk about it is actually really cute because they say part of the reason why the family did want it out is it was actually 
and when I was watching it this morning, I was thinking of it in this context, and, and they're right. It is a kind of a beautiful eulogy to her. It's this beautiful time capsule of her, you know, she was sick for a really long time, and this is a piece that shows her at her prime. Yeah. You know, she just kind of made it really big, and everyone was just floored by her in the room. So it is, as a family member, I can imagine it would be a really cool thing to see and have in other memoriam. people see. Yeah, 100%. I love that. I love everything about that. I haven't, as of yet, watched it, but... Now it's all I want to do. <laughs> you should watch her. It's, it's really great because it's really funny because Aretha never, like Aretha's got her game face on. She never really talks in between bits. It's hosted by a reverend, so it feels very much like a church service. Like a congregation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. He, he really, it includes all the bits that we, you know, we've come to know about behind the scenes show busy stuff where he's sort of doing a bit of audience warm up and he was saying, you know, we might have to take things twice. So it's really interesting glimpse behind the scenes. Right. But she comes out, she does her numbers. She never speaks to the audience. Fascinating. There's a couple of times where she goes, no, stop, let's start again. Her father, Reverend C.L. Franklin came out. You know, this is the famous Reverend that we were talking about earlier. He comes out and does pretty much a little sermon or a little speech in the middle of it all. That's cute. And of course she sings Amazing Grace, which is just, oh, look. And I've seen, I've seen that. That. Yeah. I have seen that. Bit. It's quite famous that yeah. piece of footage. Ah, track of Amazing Grace. You think it's finished. She sits down for a little bit. <laughs> she pats her brows. The The reverend that's hosting it, not her father, but the reverend that's hosting it, just sits down and openly weeps for a while. It's really, uh, it's really moving it's beautiful footage. beautiful to see. It, I think it's one of her most iconic, speaking of this segment, it is really one of her most iconic moments. Yeah, obviously not one of her songs. This song has been around for ages, but her performance her of interpretation it was something else altogether. The vocal ad-libs on it, that she just took it to these places and the way that it was affecting everybody in the room, I really do encourage you to, to watch it. We'll pop it up on our website as well, divasondivas.com, and you can go and have a look at it there. But why didn't Aretha want this release? Why did it take until her death to get this movie out there? Because the producers, Alan Alia and uh, Joe Boyd, who was another producer that came on later in the piece, both talked about the fact that she had seen it before she died and she loved it. If they are to be believed, they say that the reason that she never want this out is because Aretha was really, really burnt by Hollywood. She had a lot of resentment towards Hollywood and particularly the movie industry because they had promised to make her a big movie star and it just never happened for oh, wow. her. wow. This is according to them, the producers of the movie. So, you know, they may have a biased opinion, but she was burnt out by that entire scene because her contemporaries at the time, Diana Ross, Barbara Streisand, those people were getting movie roles and they never really figured out how to turn her into yeah, a movie Yeah, like we movie said, actor. she 
was she was she had that that cameo and a cameo and something else, and that yeah. was it for her acting career, as it were. But apparently, she always really lamented the fact that she oh. never really made it as a movie star, even though she is one of the biggest recording artists of <laughs> all time. And you would have think she would have been great. I still to this day love her in the Blues Brothers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So as a result of that, she basically made it so impossible for them to meet her criteria to release this thing. A, she wanted a lot of money. She wanted more money than was ever paid for a documentary or a movie like this. And it would a, never have been about the money. And No, it wasn't. And it was confirmed by Joe Boy, the other producer, who said she, she wanted cash and gave us a mountain to climb in terms of getting her on board. So she was just like, this thing is not getting yeah, made. Make it as hard as I possibly Unless can. I make all the money that I missed out on on all those movies. You're not putting it out. But yeah, allegedly she saw it before she died and she loved it. So at least there's a little bit of closure for them. And I'm glad that it is out because it, it is such an, an amazing... Insight. yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to watch it now. And if putting all those stipulations in place don't make a diva, I don't know what does. <laughs> yeah. Time now to crack into a little bit of this. Mary, did you know that in 1995, she was selected to play Aunt M in the Apollo Theatre's revival of The Wiz? So this is really interesting. And I don't know if you were going to cover this at all. No, I wasn't. I wasn't. But I did read about it. Yeah. I think it's really interesting. The Wiz, of course, is the musical reimagining of The Wizard of Oz featuring an all-black cast, which premiered on Broadway in 1975, featuring Stephanie Mills and her breakout role as Dorothy Gale in that production. It was then made into a movie in 1978, which was a huge star vehicle for the likes of Diana Ross and Michael Jackson, and became such a... It wasn't critically acclaimed, but it has, over the years, become such a cult classic. So yet another movie opportunity Diana Ross got the Aretha Franklin didn't. <laughs> Very that, yeah. And then NBC did a live television production of the stage version in 2015. Now, I have recently, just this is a little bit of a tangent, but I have recently watched a documentary on Disney Plus called Howard, which is the documentary about the life and times of Howard Ashman, who wrote the lyrics for a lot of the stuff that Alan Menken wrote the music for. So the likes of The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Little Shop of Horrors. This sounds like the exact kind of thing that you would watch on Disney Plus. 100%. <laughs> I'm falling asleep just hearing that. <laughs> he died of age-related complications just before the premiere of... It was either The Little Mermaid or Beauty and the Beast, which they had finished full production on. He'd written all the music, the, all the lyrics for. And during that documentary, I came across another Broadway star who starred as the voice of Sebastian in the original Little Mermaid. And I went on a little bit of a tangent, a little bit of down a rabbit hole. And Samuel E. Wright who played Sebastian in the film version of The Little Mermaid, was actually chosen to play the Scarecrow in the 1995 Apollo Theatre revival of The Wizard of Oz, alongside Whitney Houston starring as Dorothy. Oh. And Cedric the Entertainer was supposed to be in there as well as the Cowardly Lion. I can find no record of this production anywhere on the internet. It is talked about ad nauseum that Aretha was going to play Aunt M in this production and that it was going to be at the Apollo Theatre in Harlem. It was going to be huge. It was going to be this great big revival. No one can tell me if it ever went to the stage. Yeah, right. No one can tell me if it made it past rehearsal, if it was ca- like nobody. There is no information anywhere. I would give anything to see a production, not only with Aretha Franklin in it of The Wiz, yeah, yeah. but with Whitney Houston playing You would Dorothy. think if this footage existed that it would be pretty easy to find. But not only if the footage name. existed, like even if any tidbit of that production existed, yeah. it must never have gone ahead. But there is nothing. Hey, if you've got any information about this, email them. <laughs> email. Oh, no, sorry, wrong podcast. <laughs> 
email us, contact at divasondivas.com because we got to know. And I'd love to. It would be something that I would really love to get to the bottom of because I have absolutely no idea. Well, Tequila, have you heard about these handwritten wills of Aretha Franklin? No. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm so excited about this <laughs> now. I really thought you'd know about this. Because <laughs> this is fascinating. This is probably one of the most fascinating things that I read about. She didn't, she never had a legal will. So when she passed away in 2018, her estate was just going to be split equally amongst her four sons. But then they're cleaning up the house and all of a sudden they find these handwritten wills. These crazy, manic sort of scrawling. I've seen pictures of them. Some of it's not really legible. But yeah, she had two wills that she had made in 2010 and they found them in a locked cabinet. It took them ages to find because it took them forever to find the key to this cabinet. When they opened the cabinet, that she had two wills in there. She then had another will that she had handwritten in 2014 that they found under the couch cushions in a spiral notebook. (laughs) I find many things under my couch cushions, mainly dog hair and coins, but... Not the keys to Aretha Franklin's estate. I love it. <laughs> so they had a handwriting expert come in to confirm that they were, in fact, Aretha Franklin's. Now, this has become a lawsuit that, as far as I can tell, is still going on today. The last information I can see was from later last year, where there's a lot of conjecture in the states. From state to state, it's very different laws about what is admissible as a will and what isn't admissible as a will. Obviously, it's not as cut and dry as a proper legal will. <laughs> that would be notarised and things yeah. like that. Yeah, of course. So it's not like you can just straight away accept that but her sons are sort of at odds about these wills and you know some of them sort of favor some of the sons some of them favor some of the other sons so they all kind of go some of them want the 2010 ones recognized particularly Kekaf wants the 2014 ones recognized because they name him as executor of the will right which he has now become because of these wills so it was her niece that was executor of her will originally but through these writings that they have decided they I think for a time they were co-executors and yep. then she st- stood out and he he's now the executor of the will but these wills are crazy right a lot of it's really hard to see she's written she's written bits in the margins we'll get some photos of them and we'll pop them on on the website on divasondivas.com you can make out from them what you can some of the highlights of these wills in her 2010 will she mentions that there's a previous will that she wrote and this is a quote she wrote a will in 1972 to 1973 ish so somewhere around that time she said it was either stolen or it's gone missing and that it is quote no good today So she was amending her earlier bequests. Now, it named one of her other sons executor of the will, but this is crossed out. And then Kekhoff's name is written, and then it's written with a plus and a blank spot, and then next to that, she's written the words, fill in. <laughs> like, as a note to herself to go back and fill in who the other executor of the will is. Oh. It reads like a crime mystery, doesn't it? Oh. I love it so much. One of the other things I love about it is she signed her name, Aretha Franklin, and drew a little smiley face next to her signature. Like, that was part of her signature. That's cute. She opens up these wills. She sort of tries to write them as a legal document, and she writes that she's in sound mind, and then she jokes about the fact that she's not quite a sound body, and, you know, because she was, you know, not at her peak health-wise. And they're actually supposed to be quite funny. There's lots of little funny bits in them and stuff as well. The reason why she's written these wills and she's never gone to lodge a proper legal will, I mean, I guess nobody will really know, but there is some notes in there about the fact that her attorney is grossly inefficient. Um, So perhaps that's part of the reason why she never wanted to... Call it as you see it. (laughs) Why she never wanted to file them. The other really fascinating thing about it is in the 2010 wills, 
she names the father of Clarence. Now, Clarence is the child that she had when she was only 12 years old. And for a long time, it was believed that it was a, a younger boy her age from school, I, I think, that was the father of the child. But she names in this will that Edward Jordan Sr., who is the father of her second child, Edward, is also the father of Clarence, which is a, something that nobody ever had really talked about. Wow. They might have known it within the family, but it was never public knowledge. And she mentions Edward Jordan Sr. for a reason. She says that he was not to handle any of Clarence's money. And what I loved here is she's underlined the word never. <laughs> so obviously she, she got really... got red pen out and she said never. Yeah. Never. What a fantastic little Aretha mystery that is still unfolding it's, to this day. It, that's great. I'd love to see the outcome of this. I don't know if it'll ever be made like public knowledge, but the fact that they've given us so much so far yeah. really leaves it's the little... It's interesting that the wills are actually available and you can see photos of the wills. There's something about the state law where it, it becomes public property because it is part of the ongoing legal stuff. Yeah, super, super fascinating. I mean, oh if God, we can I can't learn... wait to go and have a look. If we can learn anything from this, write a will, people. <laughs> Legalise your will because if she'd had no will, things were kind of pretty straightforward. But now that these wills have been unearthed, it becomes this really messy legal thing. And now there's, you know, infighting and there's a lot of them having to work out what yeah. to do with the information that they've now been given because you, you don't want to not honour the final wishes of Aretha Franklin. Wow. Could you just pass me that spiral notebook? I just have a couple <laughs> more lines I want to finish. Now pop it under your couch cushion. <laughs> as long as I'm getting at least 25% of your zero income. You can have all of my debt. <laughs> How does that sound? Is that fair? So we mentioned earlier that she performed at Barack Obama's inauguration, singing My Country Tis of Thee in 2009. But she also performed at a couple of other inaugurations. I thought this was really interesting. She performed at the inaugurations of three presidents. So she performed God Bless America at Jimmy Carter's night before the inauguration celebration at the Kennedy Center in 1977. And then 16 years later, she headlined a two-hour concert during Bill Clinton's inauguration festivities. And she sang, I've seen a video of this. I don't know if it still exists, but if it does, I will find it and I will put it up on the website. A version of I Dreamed a Dream from Les Miserables. Stunning. I love that. Stunning. It's so, 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 so good. And then, of course, yeah, in 2009, sang My Country Tis of Thee at the Obama inauguration. I assume they're all Democrats. I know that Clinton and Obama are. I believe, we'd have to Google, but I think Jimmy Carter's probably a Democrat. I don't think she's jumping back and forth between political parties. Yeah, he was. He was a Democrat as well. So she's definitely aligned herself. Yeah, definitely. And while her vocals were always the thing to sort of take centre stage, I don't know if you remember this, but it was her Swarovski crystal studded hat that went viral and became the subject of so many memes at the time of the Obama inauguration. Grey, big, big, big grey bow. Yeah. But it was a hat and it was covered in crystals and it was studded. Stunning. Like a real fashion moment in the the history books. I was looking at it during the week and I was sort of thinking, it is a statement piece, but... I don't know why it becomes a big deal. It's just a really kind of couture cool thing, but it, people but just people... thought it was so fun to post this picture of this hat <laughs> on anything that they could get their hands on. And it was so great. I love it. I want to talk about the fact that Aretha Franklin, that perhaps her real landmark single, like one of her real breakthrough hits, and one of the songs that he's attributed to her the most, Respect, is not an Aretha Franklin song. It's not an Aretha Franklin original. No, it isn't. It was released by a man, a man, Otis Redding, which is very interesting considering it become this 
symbol of female empowerment. Otis Redding, who we of course know from Try a Little Tenderness and Dock of, uh, sitting on the dock of the bay, like huge big soul star yeah, of the day. Yeah. He, it was such a big deal. He released that only a couple of years earlier in 1965. It was a song that he had written about a divorce that he'd gone through. So it really changed the iterations of this song and what it really means changed quite a lot. But what's interesting to me is how the song itself changed and what Aretha does to music in a way can really be shown in this. So when Otis releases this track, this is what it sounds like. Like a great, you know, he's got an amazing soul voice. He's a fantastic performer, as we know from all his other hits. But by the time Aretha gets her hands on it, and it gets, let's say, Aretha-fied, we end up with this classic sound that we know today. So we immediately get this power vocal from Aretha. It's much cleaner, it's much bolder, and all of a sudden the song takes on a lot more meaning and becomes this huge, iconic number, really for a generation of people, a generation for women, a generation for coloured people. And it takes on it takes on a whole new, like, empowerment. She brings an empowerment to the song where, and I'm not ashamed to admit it, I've been standing in the middle of a very, very packed club, and when that... R-E-S-P-C-T hits. Mm. You know, every single person in that room is feeling that. Yeah. They want that respect. And that's not in the original version either. That bit where they spell it out. And yeah. they really, like, that's where Aretha really breaks it down. Really drives it home. Find out what it means to me. Like, it's... It's, oh, it's not a person so cool. in the world that doesn't know no. that riff. Vanity Fair wrote about when Aretha made this song her own. And they said that in her version released in 1967, she expressed the strength, the demands, and the confidence of a woman who wants what she wants and deserves what she needs in a way that perhaps only a great blues singer like Mama Thornton or Bessie Smith or the jazz vocalist Billie Holiday had done before and no one has done since. Which I think is fair. I'm I'm not here to disagree with it, 100%. We've spoke so much on this episode about Aretha being the Queen of Soul, but on February the 25th, 1998, she also became the Queen of Opera. Yes. As she gave one of the greatest performances in the history of the Grammys. Mm. So, when Luciano Pavarotti became ill, she substituted for him at the very last second and performed the legendary aria Nessun Dorma at the 40th Grammy Awards at Radio City Music Hall in New York City. The very last second. She found out about this 20 minutes before she had to go on stage and perform it. Yep, so he was scheduled to sing the Puccini aria and at the last minute he told the Grammy producers that he was too sick to sing. Mm. So the Grammy producers, in all of their wisdom, got Aretha, who had just sung at a Pavarotti tribute, to step in and sing for him. Apparently Pavarotti rang 30 minutes after the Grammys had started. (laughs) Wow! And apparently all he said was, I'm too sick, can't perform, I perform for you next year. (laughs) (laughs) And with no time to rehearse it, she sang the ever-loving shit out of this 
song. And still to this day, this is something that I reference. Like I watch so regularly because it is so stunning and proving really that she can sing anything. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Anything. And it's not in her usual range either. So she had to perform it. Of course, Pavarotti is a very famous tenor. So that's what the orchestra had practiced. So she said to the producer of the Grammys, she said, play it to me. And he <laughs> brought her a cassette, a little boom box with a cassette tape because that's what they How recorded lush. on back then and played her a bit from the rehearsal that Pavarotti had done. She listened to it. She went, yeah, I can do this. <laughs> and as she went 20 minutes later and did it. It's incredible because when she hits that big finale and she unleashes this powerhouse vocal, like straight from her heart, from her soul, <laughs> it's, it's, we're playing it for you now. And then you can see in that video there, that's at least a minimum 60-piece orchestra that is behind her that yeah. have all practiced to perform with Pavarotti. With and Pavarotti. here she comes with her all of her Aretha and just belts the roof off the Radio Imagine, City Musical. Like, you know, I, I've learned in my research with all of these divas throughout the season that things matter. I mean, we look back a, a couple of episodes ago to Beyonce and the lip-syncing scandal at the inauguration where she said that she didn't have the time that she needed to prepare. She didn't get a chance to rehearse. Take a seat, take a note. I'm, look, I'm not... For searching Beyonce at all, I think Beyonce. It, uh, we talked about it then, and I don't. I don't think she did the wrong thing. But imagine having the confidence in your voice and knowing you have the ability that Aretha did to sing in a different genre, in a different key, in a different style than you ever have sung before with twenty minutes notice, and just saying, "Yeah, I can do that." Yeah, <laughs> diva, diva. So as some of us may know, there is a biopic in the works at the moment. I believe they finished principal photography on it. And it's starring Jennifer Hudson. Oh, the trailer for this. Oh. And it's called Respect. And it was due out this year with COVID and everything happening and the world shutting down. And all theatrical releases have been pushed back. So it's now been officially pushed back until January 2021. And Jennifer Hudson was handpicked by Aretha Franklin to play her in this biopic of her life. It looks incredible. We'll pop the trailer for it up on the website as well so you can see it if you haven't already it looks amazing and Jennifer Hudson is singing live all of these mm. big Aretha ballads and we've seen her do it we've seen her do it at the BET Awards we've seen her do it when she was honouring Aretha Franklin many many times over the years to have an icon of Aretha's stature handpick you for a role that mm. must be so incredible it's it makes sense though. Like you watch the trailer and you watch earlier footage of Aretha. Are they not the same person? There's such a striking resemblance between and the two. And even the voice. And the voice. Yeah. 
And of course, the like the ability. I mean, Jay Hud's proven itself over and over and over again to be a sensational actor and a sensational vocalist as well. And I couldn't have thought of a better pick to play Aretha Franklin until around the same time that this was announced. They also announced another biopic of Aretha Franklin's life done through the National Geographic anthology series Genius. Now, this is going to be the third season of this TV show, and it's going to be again a full biopic of her life, but done in a TV show format rather than a movie. And it's starring. Cynthia Erivo as Aretha Franklin. Now they have the rights to the music, they have the rights to portray her life story. It's pretty much going to be almost like for like what we're going to get in the movie, maybe a little bit deeper because you can go into it in a, a bit more bit depth longer. over the television series. I also couldn't think of anybody else apart <laughs> from Cynthia Erivo that I would like to see. Again, one of these world-class voices who recently was seen in The Colour Purple on Broadway playing the role of Celie. If you haven't seen anything from this woman, look her up. Her voice, I'd go as far as to say, is even better than Jennifer Hudson's. Oh, I thought you were going to say Aretha Franklin. No, 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 no one's going to beat that. But I think maybe even better than Jennifer Hudson. And her and Jennifer Hudson starred together in The Colour Purple on Broadway. So it's just so interesting that you can have two concurrent things. The National Geographic one has also been pushed back. It was supposed to be out in May of this year in That's May weird as a television program because this is really the time they haven't, started, they haven't started filming it yet oh okay because so, they need to yeah yeah so they got halfway through production and it shut down and then in September it was reported that they picked up production again and it was due right. out next year but I think it's going to be due out on TV on National Geographic around the same time Isn't as that funny? Jennifer you, Hudson one yeah I mean it's a big year for Aretha fans how exciting for them and people like us who just absolutely love our divas it's almost just like everything colliding at the same time right like it's just all yeah <laughs> All the trains heading into the station at the exact same time. Very overwhelming. <laughs> and I love it. I can't wait to see both of them. And also, it means that we get reimaginings of all of those iconic Aretha songs again, but by these two now world-renowned, world-class vocalists. Yeah. Both of them singing live, emulating her. Yeah. I can't wait for that. Yeah, that's oh. going to be sensational. What a big year it's going to be for cinema next year. <laughs> so many things in the works at the moment <laughs> that have all been delayed or put off, and it's just going to be, I think... I'll be- never be out of the cinema next no, year. No, we'll be at the think. movies every weekend. <laughs> Easy. Gosh, stock up your gold class tickets now, ladies and gentlemen. And as if you need any more proof, we're about to find out why we as a queer community are so obsessed with Miss Aretha Franklin. And I was like, why are you so obsessed with me? First and foremost, when it comes to Aretha Franklin, she is an icon of empowerment. So she's become this symbol of empowerment, a big part because of her songs, but also because of who she is. She's a strong woman. She speaks for a lot of minorities and she she owns herself in a way that has become a real representation that others have followed. Of course, there are other songs that have represented, you know, civil rights and female empowerment. Respect, of course. You make me feel like an actual woman. There's a think lo- even think even freedom. Like a, it's an undertow through all of her performances, and not just in words, but also in performance style. She also lived this experience as well. You know, it was stuff that she was really passionate about. So we, as a community that we are, are always going to cling to those people who were about empowering minorities or lifting people up or, you know, caring about civil rights and treating everybody equal. There's a quote that she is attributed to saying, which goes, we all require 
desire and want respect. Man or woman, black or white, it's our basic human right. And I think that has become a real embodiment of the entire Pride movement as well. You know, there's the same sort of values involved. She's also a very strong, willed, powerful woman. She was known for being very assured of herself. Those are things I think that we really honour and those are things we really put up on a pedestal as a community. There's another quote that she's attributed to, which it speaks to this and it speaks to the climate of the world at the moment where she says, you have to disturb the peace when you can't get no peace. And that is a shared value. Well, I just got shivers. Yeah. That's a shared value that I think our community has had with things like, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, with female empowerment, with a lot of civil rights movement. You have to disturb the peace when you can't get no peace. And for me, that really shows the iconography of her. Cast your minds back to 2011, a time before same-sex marriage was legal within the US. There was a couple called Bill White and Brian Yore. That said, stop it, let's get married anyway. And they said, let's just do it. To hell with it. That's how I married my husband. (laughs) It is. No, I know. It was before. Why'd you laugh at me then? (laughs) It's a very romantic, true thing, Tequila. Why are you laughing at me? Please. Is it because you're alone? (laughs) I just feel very uncomfortable. (laughs) I'd rather people didn't talk about their weddings around me. Um, but book me, I'm very free. Well, you did before, but the next wedding. I did, yeah, I did indeed. That sounds <laughs> ominous. I married the same person twice, it's fine. <laughs> like, just like a Liz Taylor. <laughs> I was just about to say Melbourne, Melbourne's very own Liz Taylor. <laughs> So, yes, Bill White and Brian Ewer. Bill White was the former president of the Intrepid Sea, Air and Space Museum. Oh, uh, Right. <laughs> and Brian Ewer was an insurance executive and they were having... They, money. These people are they, money. That's what they were having. They were I having mean, money. If you can book a Reese Franklin for your wedding, you are money. <laughs> They were having a high-profile wedding and it was planned to try and draw as much attention to marriage equality as it was to celebrate their love. Right, so okay, they were that doing makes it, sense. They were doing it like a show-off, basically. Yeah. Be like, we want this and this is what the gays are going to be able to do. Right, If okay. you give us wedding rights, we're going to be able to get Aretha Franklin to perform. That makes sense because the guy that actually married them was one of the leading people fighting against That's exactly a, right? it. That's exactly it. So they asked. They asked their good friend Aretha Franklin if she wouldn't mind seeing Singing at the I wedding. Don't know, you see, I, just, I don't know if I get a sense whether they, they're socialites, right? They're big yeah. money socialites. Maybe they hang in the same circles. But also I feel like one day they're just like, honey, who do you want to have to see at the wedding? Gosh, Aretha has a good voice. <laughs> we'll give her a call. We'll give her people a call. You name your prize, Aretha. Because she performs three songs. Three at songs, wedding. yeah. That's going to cost a pretty penny. So David Boys was the attorney who successfully argued against Prop 8, which was the proposition that was sought to ban same-sex marriages in California. Mm, yeah. He was the efficient of the wedding. Yeah. So <laughs> reportedly, Bill White told CNN, not long after they were married, she said, David Boys is going to marry you. I could have done that. And he thought, oh man, we could have had Aretha Franklin oh, marry I didn't us. know. <laughs> he said she was very passionate that night and very excited to be there. She looked at gay rights as the next civil rights movement. Which speaks great to her. Now, just sidebar, Barbara Walters was also at this wedding. So Yeah, the <laughs> money, the amount of people that were there. It's it's so many people. Look, I did fall down a bit of a rabbit hole. I mean, who are these people? Why have they got so much money? I Googled them. And I don't know if I'll leave this in, but they're kind of assholes. <laughs> They're very, very politically involved. We don't know them, so we can say what we want. (laughs) 
I'm happy to it's put our it on podcast and not yours. I'm happy to put it on record because they are very oh, politically involved. Are they? No, they're very politically involved. They're very staunchly Democrat. They supported Obama very heavily financially when he got into office, and then supported Hillary when she was running. Pumped a lot of money in her campaign, but have since become very vocal Trump supporters. And not even since. So from <clears throat> from the, the it is reported. It's not reported. They straight out said that they switched the night that Hillary was losing the election. So at midnight on the night, they were at Hillary's whatever the party throws that day. They were big sponsors. They were big contributors to the campaign. They were there ready to celebrate with Hillary. It all turned south. At about midnight, they could tell that Trump was going to leave. They have fessed up to the fact that they left Hillary's party, got in their car, drove to Manhattan to Trump's success party or whatever it was that he was throwing that night and from that day have been Trump supporters. And they have openly said, we just didn't want to be on the losing team. <laughs> so screw them. I think if Farida had known that, she wouldn't have... Oh, she would have been furiously foul. My mouth hasn't shut since you started telling that story because I'm furious. <laughs> I hate nothing more than a MAGA fag. Anyway, it doesn't it. take away from Aretha's support of what they were trying to do at the time. But yeah, they turned out to be very fickle assholes. <laughs> right, well... The more you know. Well, to end that on a little happy note... That was White and Brian Ewer, don't ever trust them. I'm coming for you. <laughs> to end this on a little bit of a lighter note, on October 23rd, every year since they got married, the singer would call and leave a message to tell the couple she loved them and wish them a happy anniversary. Oh. So that's a real testament to how beautiful a person she was. Well, very forgiving. <laughs> Not as she forgiving as me. Have, she probably didn't have Facebook. I'm fuming. <laughs> I'm, no, we'll scrap this whole segment, actually. No, I'm, <laughs> you bastards, you don't get a moment of my time. <laughs> I wanted to talk quickly about something that I found really interesting, which was that her sister Carolyn is reported to be a queer woman. She was a singer herself. She wasn't as much in the limelight as Aretha. She actually got most of her success, Carolyn got most of her success as a songwriter and wrote a number of Aretha's songs. But she also wrote her own poetry and her own music and quite openly wrote lyrics about loving women and living a bit of a different lifestyle to other people. One of the songs of Aretha's that she wrote is Ain't No Way. And the song is about You've had a visceral reaction to that. (laughs) It's my favourite Aretha song. Really? Okay, so Carolyn wrote it, and the song is about demanding to be loved without shame and to be out in the open. So it's not without being blatantly about the queer lived experience. It is kind of an ode to that and Carolyn's nod to her own lifestyle and the way that she lived. Aretha has this really beautiful quote when she's talked about Carolyn in the past and she said, I consider her a great woman. She went her own way, lived her own life and found freedom in her individuality. Which is this really beautiful, respectful way to talk about someone who perhaps wanted to keep part of their life private. Yeah, and honouring someone's privacy in that way while still acknowledging that she was in support of her sister. I think that's, that's so sweet. That's really lovely. In an article in The Advocate... After Aretha's passing, they posted an article on their online website and it was all of these tributes from the LGBTQIA plus community on Twitter towards Aretha Franklin. And I wanted to read a couple of them out right now because there are some things in here that I hadn't thought of before that I think are really, really beautiful. So at NASC on Twitter wrote, LGBT anthems are a dime a dozen these days, but when Aretha Franklin's pride, a deeper love, which we all know, pride, a deeper love. Oh, such a bomb. That's a pride festival. 
anthem. anthem. Yeah, of course it is. But when Pride, A Deeper Love came out, it changed the game. The vocals, the lyrics, the beat. Take it from a 90s kid. This track shook us to the core. I, I even remember that. I was a 90s kid and it wasn't until I read that tweet that I was like, oh my goodness, yes. Like, I remember that song and how important it was. It was in Queer As Folk, which was my entire 90s gay existence. Summer of Love 85 wrote, You gave a voice to people, gay people among them, who wanted to live their best lives amidst dark nights of injustice and hatred. You will be missed. Let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Yeah, it's this real notion with Aretha, isn't it? That, like, although there's not a lot of examples of her blatantly coming out and saying, there is some, you know, it was we talked about with the wedding and stuff. It wasn't something that was sort of blatant and obvious. It's more about, and you see it in these tweets, it's more about what she was representing. And it did mean a lot to a lot of people. And although she may never have shouted it from the rooftops, it was the affirmative action that that speaks volumes. And the quiet support. And the quiet support that to this day for an icon of that stature speaks volumes. Which also plays an important role in supporting a community. It doesn't always have to be screaming from the rafters. One I wanted to end this a little bit on was DJ Crimson on Twitter also tweeted, One time I DJed a lesbian wedding where they walked down the aisle to Aretha Franklin's I Never Loved a Man the Way I Loved You. Pretty clever, I thought. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure she'd be stoked to know that she was a part of that legacy. I think that's really cute. Super shortly before she passed away, the last performance that she ever made publicly was actually at Elton John's request. We chatted about Elton John earlier. He was hosting an AIDS benefit and she came and performed at this and it was not long before she passed away. She was, I've seen photos, she was quite skinny, quite frail. Quite gaunt, yeah. Yeah, and she was reportedly quite sick at the time. Elton has said since, I was fortunate enough to spend time with her and witness her last performance, a benefit for Elton John's AIDS Foundation at St. John's the Divine Cathedral. She was obviously unwell and I wasn't sure she could perform, but Aretha did and she raised the roof. She sang... Oh. <laughs> Just got choked up. It's okay. <laughs> she sang and played magnificently and we all wept. We were witnessing the greatest soul artist of all time. I adored her and worshipped her talent. God bless her. She has the same birthday as Elton John too. Yeah, that's really sweet. So, you know, right until the end, she was there and supported. And it was obviously important for her to be there because it wouldn't have been easy for her to be there. And again, a true testament to a, a true icon. Of course, Aretha's legacy will forever live on, not only through her music, but also through her cultural influence within the queer community. I think I want to talk about one of my personal favourite things, and it's only Aretha adjacent. (laughs) And it was season four, episode 10 of RuPaul's Drag Race. And it was the makeover challenge for that season, and they had to make over people into, like, pregnant, pregnant people. And they, they had, had to, to walk great down, with child. yeah, with child, and they had to be like maternity wear and walk down the runway wearing all this stuff. Anyway, for that episode, they brought little Kenya Michaels back as a returning contestant for that one episode because they thought she might make it through to the end. It wasn't to be because the lip sync for your life that episode <laughs> was, of course, the iconic "You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman," and it was against the one and only Latrice. Royale. Someone who may as well should be an Aretha impersonator, <laughs> like the Aretha Franklin of drag, Latrice Royale. It's funny watching that clip, actually. That it's bizarre. You took like embodiment in drag. Yeah, this is textbook embodiment in drag. But I mean, of course, Latrice has that sort of Aretha look, certainly at at a time in Aretha's life. But and not only that, but there is a. 
sentiment to this song. There is a stillness to this song. Yeah, that I know drag didn't is really, really get. Yeah, I know <laughs> that drag is really flashy and it's all about putting on the biggest show, but you can say so much with so little, yeah. which is what Latrice does. We'll put this up on the website as well. It's what Latrice does with this performance. She stands still and she clutches her stomach and she serves mm. this song word mm. for word to the heart of those judges on that judging panel. Gives like, me it gives me yeah, goosebumps yeah. every time I think about it. And then you have little Kenya Michaels who's dancing and acting mm. a fool. She takes her shoes well, off and she's doing the splits. And she was in this position where she was trying to fight her way back into the competition and she really, that sort of comes off her. She's like pulling out every trick of the book, which we often see with drag. But Latrice knew, nah, this is, it's known to people who perform. It's, it's a park and bark. And you stand there and you deliver this <laughs> number. This, this is a lesson in park and bark. Latrice didn't move. She didn't acknowledge Kenya. She didn't know that she was there. She just performed this song as though she was Aretha. You look at the judging panel's reactions. I mean, Kenya ripped her wig off at one point, which we now and know is, is deep sin. But also, <laughs> Rue is cutting eyes at Kenya. She's just like, no, and, thank you. And Santino, which I was at blast from the past, Santino was on the judging <laughs> panel then, looks over at Tara Michelle Geller, who's there for some reason, <laughs> and sort of looks at her like, like what the hell what does the she think she's doing? On, yeah. But then they focus in on the trees, and there's this really beautiful moment that had guest judge Jesse Tyler Ferguson was there, and he just grabs onto Michelle and hugs her because they're so moved by yeah. what they're watching. And it really is one of the most incredible lip syncs in Drag Race history. Switching things up again this week, as we are wont to do, because it's our podcast and not yours. <laughs> Before we get to the diva moment this week, we have a diva moment honourable mention, because there's too much good stuff with Aretha. I couldn't just find anywhere to put this. I couldn't figure out if it was an iconic moment, whether it was a Mary, did you know? I couldn't figure it out, but I absolutely adore this clip. And Aretha Franklin is known for being a little bit of a shady lady. She doesn't suffer fools gladly. She's a real gun in an interview, and if she doesn't want to do something, she doesn't want to talk about something, she just won't do it. (laughs) But if she has an opinion to share, she'll also share it. You thought that Halle Berry would be great playing you, and Halle said something to the effect of... Mm -hmm. I can't sing, so mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to do Miss Franklin justice. I knew she couldn't sing. Yes. Um, never expected her to. Could be Fantasia, could be uh, Jennifer. Queen Latifah? don't know. Well, I need this movie to get done, and then I want to I play like would a you, secretary or something. Would you be interested in helping to finance it? Oh, well, Miss Franklin, I'm only in the second season of my show. <laughs> okay, check's not big enough yet. Would you like to get married again? Of course, I love marriage. Love the institution. You seem like the type of woman who still falls and can get as stupid as the rest of us girls. Do you think I'm gullible? I think that you can be. Well, with the right man. Yeah, no, no. I'm not gullible. Mm-mm. You get stupid. I'm not going to be stupid anymore. Oh! <laughs> you get stupid. I'm not going to be stupid anymore. Oh, sidebar. What is a Wendy Williams? What God, is nuts, isn't she? <laughs> Her energy is just crazy in that clip. But also, I don't know what gives Wendy Williams the right to think that she can just ask these kinds of questions yeah. to these icons and really I think try, and, stupid. No. And try and throw this shade. But as we can see, and we'll pop it up on the website, Aretha is not bothered one iota. Yeah. She sits there unflinching, unmoved, and she's like, no, you get stupid. I love when she's just so frank. Are you going to open your checkbook and make it happen? <laughs> oh, the check's not big enough yet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, Miss Williams. <laughs> <laughs> but then, of course, we have the actual diva moment of this episode. I love this. 
This is so crazy. This is in a Wall Street Journal interview from 2014. Naturally, the Wall Street Journal were interested with Franklin. <laughs> of course. And it's a 10-minute interview, and they go into her new album. Oh, this is when she was releasing the Diva Divas album, album yeah. where, she, where she did covers of other Diva songs. Yes, and they decided to play a fun little game with her just to try and get like, like a word association game. I'll give you some Divas names. You tell us. Give us one word. And, of course, Aretha Franklin can't be held to just one word. Uh, and now, since your new album is about Divas, I want to just sort of throw out a few names of Divas and sort of get your one-word reaction, sort of get your impression mm. of various singers. So when I say that the name Adele, what comes to mind? Mm-hmm. Young singer, good singer. Alicia Keys. Um, young performer, good writer, producer. Taylor Swift. Okay, great, uh, great gowns, beautiful gowns. Uh, uh, Whitney Houston. Whitney was a, a talent, mm. definitely a talent. She had a gift. Mm. And Sissy's baby. And let's sort of change genres a little bit. Nicki Minaj? Nicki Minaj. Hmm. <laughs> now I'm going to pass on that one. Miss <laughs> Franklin, your eyebrows are quite high there. Very high. <laughs> Mm, I'm going to pass on that one. <laughs> and But it's nice to know that Taylor Swift has beautiful gowns. She couldn't say a word about how what kind of singer she is or anything, but beautiful gowns. She's got beautiful gowns. I mean, it's not too hard to pick the people there that she has respect for or the people that, <laughs> that, yeah. that she's just going to talk about their stylists or not talk about them at all, in fact. Yeah, so, so very Aretha. What I love about this even moment too is it's not a screaming at the audience like Patti Lapone. It's not a using your power like Barbara did to get Siri to change how to say her name. It's just this really subtle undercurrent of shade <laughs> and it sort of isn't even really deliberate. It's just like, mm, just no, I'm not going to waste my time on that. But also, that. it's just what she thinks. It's just her opinion on it. Well, Tequila, that is just about all the time we have for another episode of Divas on Divas. We would, of course, encourage you to follow us on our socials so that you can stay up to date with every episode as it's coming out. You can find us on Facebook at Divas on Divas Podcast and we're on Instagram at Divas on Divas. We also have our website where you'll see all of our bonus content, which is divasondivas.com. We often ask people to leave us a five-star review too. Now, I realised during the week because I decided to leave a review myself. I don't know if that's in some sort of insider training or whatever, but I did want to bump up those five stars because they do get the podcast out there. They do get them featured on you know certain lists and we get it out to people that we perhaps don't know or can't connect with on social media. You can just leave five stars. You don't actually you have don't to write have a, to review. a review. No. We keep saying five-star review. Well, that's sounds like a lot of work. No, I don't know that I would do that. Just give us a five-star rating. Next time you open your podcast thing, just click that five stars. And hit subscribe as well. (laughs) Subscribe, follow, all of that gets this little podcast out to as many people as we possibly can. This week we'd like to make special thanks to Wikipedia, YouTube, Vanity Fair, Grammy.com, ABC Australia and GayStarNews.com for the research help. Of course, we're going to wrap up again this week with a moment from the Diva Vault. This is one of my favourite Aretha covers. What have we got for everybody to This is Aretha covering an Adele classic, Rolling in the Deep. And as we saw earlier in the comments on this video, if Aretha performs your song, it's no longer your song. Yeah, (laughs) so Adele's your song, that's it's no longer your song. So Adele, this is now Aretha's. And until next time, everybody, don't forget, you you make make me feel feel like like a natural natural woman.
have you got an out for um, the end of the show? I haven't thought of one. So maybe to do with I respect. Did. Oh, yeah. I, I had just had RSPCCT. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to piss myself. <laughs> Oh, no, I just went lightheaded again. Oh, I'm going to faint.